We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Young people in particular give me hope. There's a huge amount of energy and entrepreneurialism there that we should listen to and, and actually uh, support more than anything um, in, in, instead of trying to think that we can come up with the solutions for them. That was Yanti Sarepto. And if she gets her energy and optimism from young people, well, that's only fitting. Yanti is president and CEO of Save the Children, the global organization that served more than 144 million children last year alone. I'm Alain Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Yanti leads a renowned nonprofit committing to giving children a healthy start, the opportunity to learn, and to protect them from harm. Earlier this month, Save the Children's annual Global Childhood Report came out. It paints a picture of the state of the world's children and how they're doing in the time of COVID. Yanti refers to this situation as a hidden crisis, but she also sees a willingness among people to step up and take action. Listen and learn why Yanti Sarepto is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm so delighted to be here today with Yanti Sarepto. She is the president and CEO of Save the Children. And I think this is a really timely conversation about children in our own country, children around the world, and the work of Save the Children. Yanti, you are from the Netherlands. You've worked in the private sector for many years. Uh, You've been based literally all over the world, from Indonesia to the UK and Singapore. Can you share some of your background with us, what your career journey was like? 
what made you the female leader you are today, the head of a renowned organization that serves 144 million children last year alone. Thanks, Milan, and thank you for having me. And I'm really delighted actually to meet you as well. Um, so yes, I, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, but my father was from Indonesia. So he essentially migrated to the Netherlands uh, as a young as a young student, um, and then met my mother and and stayed on to have his family. But I do think that that dual history made me um, very appreciative of the fact that the, that you know the, the Netherlands is is a fantastic country uh, to, to be a child and to and to raise a family, uh, but that there were also other countries, and it also instilled in me a certain liking of adventure. So I, I figured out pretty young that I wanted to make sure that I was able to work abroad and was also able to leave the Netherlands because it's a wonderful country, but it's also quite a small country. Um, so I really picked a, a, a subject of my studies when I went to university uh, and after that, a, a, a company and an industry which I felt was going to get me out of the country and was going to allow me to work abroad. Um, so I. I Picked to study economics um, because I like numbers and I thought it'd be inter- and it would allow me to work internationally. And then um, I was accepted at, at Unilever, which I knew was a multinational and would 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 you know would clearly give me an opportunity for an international career. Um, so so that was really what what drove it. And then after a number of years there in the consumer goods industry, 15, 16 years or so, I thought, well, um, this is great. Uh, and I, I I loved it, and I, I truly enjoyed my time uh, at Unilever. It's a fantastic company, but I also thought I can't be doing this. I can't be sort of selling shampoo or frozen food for the rest of my life. There, there must be something else I can do to make sure that inequalities that are so clear, you know, to see that that I can have an impact on that. And that's when I started to really look into the independent uh, and the nonprofit sector. And then I got sort of lucky that when I was working in Indonesia, still in consumer goods, I was asked by a search firm to to look at the opportunity with Save the Children, um, and and that sort of um, sealed it for me. Well, I can understand how it sealed it for you. And just the name, Save the Children, I think it's something that we all want to be associated with because it's so consequential. So we've heard the name, but we may not always know exactly what the organization does. Could you clarify that for us today? Uh, sure. Um, Save the Children was founded in 1919, actually, by a phenomenal woman, a visionary, Eglantin Jeb, in the in the United Kingdom, who thought after World War One that it was not right that children uh, behind uh, enemy lines, right, children in Germany and Austria were starving um, because they were essentially children of the party that lost the war. So she didn't think it was right. She advoc- She started to campaign. She started to advocate with the UK government. To, uh, to do something about it. And of course, people told her that she was a traitor. She was even arrested famously for handing out leaflets with starving children in Travelker Square. And that essentially was the, the beginning of Save the Children. Uh, currently, so fast forward uh, more than 100 years, Save the Children is now based in over 100 uh, countries in the world, including in the United States. Um, and we really focus on giving children a healthy start in life, an opportunity to learn uh, and and to profit from a basic a good quality education and also be protected from harm. Um, and we particularly look in every country where the most vulnerable, most marginalized groups of children are, because we know that if we get it right for them, 
we make it better for all children. That's so right. Uh, if you get it right for those in the most difficulties, the others will do well as well. So I'm very familiar with Save the Children really being there in a time of humanitarian crises when the children are, along with the women, the most likely to be suffering the greatest. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like in those crises environments and what Save the Children comes in and does, and perhaps what some of those situations are? The good thing about us is that we usually are already in countries when a crisis hits, um, and, and we've been there usually for, for decades. Uh, so the relationships there with local communities, local partners, um, government partners, as well as civil society uh, is already strong. And that allows us quite often to, to pivot really quickly when disaster strikes. Um, and quite often it, it is in an area where we already have a presence with, with teams on the ground. And those are, you know, Natural disasters, of course, are often get uh, the most attention, in particular if they're if they're big, like some of the hurricanes we've seen here in the United States. But you know, in particular, things like the Asian tsunami in two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. But people today, sadly, of course, most of our humanitarian work is actually in protracted crises, like Yemen, Syria, and South Sudan, where there's through and those are usually man-made disasters, conflict, war. Uh, leading to to displacement. Um, And that's where we've been throughout the conflict, trying to maintain access to populations in need and also helping in particular children, uh, making sure that we try to shield them from the the biggest risks. And those are such heart-wrenching situations. The photos alone are so descriptive of what's happening to kids who are on no fault of their own, caught up in these disastrous situations. I've often wondered, um, do you use mostly personnel from those places or do a lot of people come in through Saves Work from elsewhere? We still have a little bit of both. I think you'll see the needle shift more and more to uh, using to having people there already. We have, so we have 25,000 staff worldwide. The vast, vast majority are directly from the countries and even the communities where we have our, our work. Um, and a good example is in uh, the, 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 one of the more recent um, earthquakes and tsunamis in Indonesia and in, in Sulawesi in uh, 2017, I think. Um, at, at that time, the Indonesian government actually didn't allow uh, non-Indonesians to come in. Um, and it was quite remarkable to us that it, although I think normally we would have surged in a few people from, from the outside, we managed to to set up a very strong team on the ground within 48 hours, and we essentially ran that whole response in Sulawesi, um, you know, with some help from from of course our staff in in Jakarta, uh, but we we ran it with with local national fantastic Indonesian staff, and we and we mounted a very effective response. So the days of uh, airplanes full of Brits and Americans and Swedes and Dutch people. I think uh, to some extent is really over. And I, and I think that that is essentially a good thing. Well, and, and I think uh, especially where there are restrictions put in place, as we often hear about, of not letting humanitarian workers in, quote unquote, to be able to have people on the ground who are in country to respond is obviously something that is a great resource. That's right. And I, th- and I think a lot of the communities on the ground, not even 
save the children's staff, but shopkeepers um, and, and, and local uh, officials are, are usually the ones really on the front line. So to help them be ready, and we do quite a lot of work there in terms of training and preparedness training, so that communities themselves are, are more resilient when disaster strikes, because of course in these areas, particularly natural disasters, we sort of know that they, they come around. Yeah. And speaking of these crises, whether they're national disasters or uh, happening in war zones, we are now the world over going through this pandemic uh, that has taken such a toll. I understand that you weren't in the job even three months as the new head of Save the Children when COVID-19 hit. What does it take to lead a global organization through such difficult, challenging, um, uncertain times? I did say to the team then, this is what Save the Children trains for. We are an organization that does well in a crisis. So in that's of course, it was new that it was everywhere in everybody's community and, and, and homes. And of course, we had everybody also needing to homeschool their kids, take care of elderly parents or family members, et cetera, and being concerned about that. But um, so in that sense, of course, the scale of it was, was different. Um, but to, to pivot and to immediately have sort of mechanisms and processes in place where people go like, okay, there's a crisis. We know what to do. We go out. We start to look at our programmatic interventions. What needs to happen? Oh, we need to go remote schooling. We have we've done that before. So so can we now? Now we've never done it before at this scale, but we we sort of know what works and also what the issues are going to be when children are out of school mm -hmm. for for uh, long periods of time because we've responded to epidemics in in the past and we were also lucky that we had on staff uh, people who were actually working on pandemic preparedness, ironically, uh, in, in particular for African countries where there were weak healthcare systems. Now, I know from a lot of the work that I have done as well that COVID-19 has not just had disproportionate impacts on certain segments of our populations, but really exposed existing inequalities in very significant ways. And for children, that goes from health care and education to the situation of the families that they find themselves in, the safety of the children. I have been um, tracking some of the work on girls in school that when the lockdowns came and the schools closed, uh, many of them are in desperate situations and big question mark, will they ever go back? But, you know, victims of potential trafficking and abuse, et cetera. I know that you've put out an annual childhood report, which I've uh, read myself over the years, but that this year is really focused on the impact of COVID-19 on children. Tell us a little bit about that impact from the perspective of Save the Children. Yeah, and that is really what, we, what our aim was when we did the report. And we also, preceding it, we did a, a global survey to really talk to the, the children and the young people in our programmatic uh, in the communities where we work to to understand from them firsthand what their uh, experience had had been um and, and we did that in in over 50 countries i think and with thousands of, of, of children so what we're and we're and what we see of course uh, to your point milan is is really coming out and that of course should really you know that gives us grave concerns so we're seeing in terms of health and survival mechanism particularly for young children uh if routine and basic interventions are uh, uh, disrupted or stopped altogether from, from immunization to basic you know, prenatal 
uh, and postnatal care, that really puts under five mortality numbers at risk. Of course, under five mortality numbers had been dropping and dropping and have halved, right, over the last 20 years, as, as you well know. Right. Great progress. Fantastic progress. Um, and now we're, we're really worried that we'll see either a stalling or a plateauing of that number of six million kids dying every year before the age of five of preventable causes. But we might actually see a, a, an increase um, because kids will die from, you know, malaria, measles and pneumonia. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there is no oxygen, there will be no vaccination, there, and and the and the local healthcare clinic has either closed or has no capacity to to to, to deal with it. So, survive Im- immediate concerns are around um, health and survival. Then, to your point, over a billion kids are out of school, and we know also from the Ebola crisis when kids were out of school for ten to eleven months in those three countries only in West Africa. We know that many of those, uh, particularly girls or children with disabilities or in- incredibly poor children, they didn't go back to school at all, even when schools reopened. Um, so that worries us greatly that those kids will never go back because they'll be married off or they'll be put to work because the family needs them to work because they don't mm-hmm. have any money. Um, mm-hmm. When schools close, we'll, and we saw that also here in the United States, which for a country as wealthy as the United States, of course, is shocking that kids don't have access to their one nutritious meal a day when the school closes. Um, so we think that hundreds of millions of kids are actually now more food insecure because their schools are not closing, are closed. Um, and then um, to your earlier point about harm and violence, we see increased violence. Children are cooped up at home. Uh, quite often there's domestic violence, there's more pressure on the family because of economic uh, uh, consequences and concerns there. Um, And the school um, and the teachers often provide a very useful extra pair of eyes on the well-being of kids. And that now is also lost. So we'll see more kids being being harmed, essentially. Um, And I think when we talk to our partners in countries, also in the United States, that operate um, hotlines um, for that, uh, they tell us that they see a huge increase in calls and they see a huge increase, particularly uh, in calls of, from minors, children under 18. And that's a shocking. And they they told me here in the United States that they'd never seen that kind of an increase of that age cohort. And that's hugely concerning. Um, we also think that there's around two and a half million girls at risk of being married extra, being mar- of, of being married off before the age of 18, on top of the 12 million girls per year that um, get married off. And then lastly, perhaps, and that, of course, is underpinning some of these things, is that um, poverty will be, people in extreme poverty will be on the increase. Uh, you know, the informal sector in particular is hard hit in, in, in Africa and, and also in Asia. Um, and again, there, there are no social protection mechanisms uh, that there have been in, even in the United States and certainly in Europe. Um, and, and those children uh, will certainly be at risk of, of never going back to school, but also of, of gaps in, in their well-being um, and survival um, widened, as, as, as often happens. You know, it, it's so sad to listen to you because this is so extensive and touching so many children around the world. 
And to think so much progress has been made on health, on getting children into school, and now much of that may be lost. And it's going to be critical. I I would imagine uh, you would agree that when we face that opportunity to recover and build back better, hopefully, that we really have to have a lens of the state of the children applied to those opportunities to begin to recover. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's certainly what we're asking for, uh, particularly with the new Biden administration, of course, and, and across the, you know, the, the world with, with governments where we think we should and could step up um, certainly their, their, oversee, you know, their, their development assistance. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A.com. You mentioned the United States, particularly in, in terms of the state of children here. You gave us a couple of examples already. And I know that the childhood report came out uh, for the first time also with giving a state-by-state ranking about how kids are faring um, in our country. Um, the best and the worst situations during the pandemic. What have you found briefly uh, in terms of the impact on children across the United States? Yeah, and, and actually in 2019, we did our first report that really did a deep dive in the United States at a county by county level. We looked at over 2,000 counties then across the states oh my. Uh, to look at the situation for kids. And at the time, we already called it the land of inopportunity because we really felt that there were strong inequalities coming through, uh, particularly for kids in, in rural communities. Now, last year, for, the, for this year's report, we looked at a year of, of pandemic and, and what are the, the impacts on, on children, particularly in all of those states. And of course, what you see there a real, um, you know, hidden crisis unfolding um, as as it is globally. Uh, it, it is also in the United States. Millions more kids are hungry. 
missing out on learning and forced into poverty. And those equity gaps are really along geographic income and racial ethnic lines. So kids who are already poor live in rural areas and are from communities of color are more likely to go hungry and have access to remote learning uh, or even internet access full stop. Um, and the poorest families are, are struggling the most. Are there best and worst states? Do you actually rank the states? We have ranked the states. The best states for children have been uh, Minnesota, Utah, Washington, New Hampshire, and North Dakota. And the worst states for kids have been Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, New Mexico, and Alabama. And those best and worst actually don't always correlate with uh, states with number of COVID cases uh, in those states. But just listening to them, uh, you know, I've been involved with Georgetown's ranking of the best and worst in terms of the disparate impacts on women. Mm. And there's a large correlation with the disparate impacts on children right. or disproportionate impacts on children. Very interesting. Uh, you mentioned um, that race obviously plays a role because there is so much uh, racial inequity. What about gender playing a role in the COVID impacts on children? Is there a difference there? We certainly see that globally. I think in our in our own childhood report, when we were looking at the data, um, it, it, I guess the answer that the, the the short answer is it depends <laughs> on on the state and sometimes even on on the county. We 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 do see worldwide girls face, of course, higher rates of violence, poverty, and discrimination. Women are really at the front line of this pandemic, right? They make up seventy percent of the workforce, of the healthcare workforce mm -hmm. um, in the United States, as well as globally. Women and girls are at increased risk of gender-based violence. Um, um, women are more at risk of not returning to work um, when, child, when the childcare industry is not, not able to provide or, or is going or also facing increased risk of bankruptcy. So we're seeing that impact on, on women in the United States, yes. Um, in terms of girls and boys, it depends very much on which stage, which, which stage you are. We, we do see the racial ethnic lines ac across the states by and large. Um, black families are twice as likely to lack access to food, uh, twice as likely to struggle with housing costs, uh, less likely to have tools for remote learning. I know that uh, you cater to all children, boys and girls. Uh, but can you give us a sense of, of some of the programs that are targeted to girls? Because many of them live on the margins of their societies. That's right. And as, as we discussed earlier, um, you know, getting it right for girls or for, and, and other marginalized groups really helps our interventions be better for, for everybody, including mm -hmm. the boys or, or, or the, the, the children who are in the advantage groups, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. So we try to make sure that every time we design an intervention, we look at it with a gender lens to make sure it is right for girls um, or other marginalized groups in, in that particular context. And in order to make sure that that intervention actually delivers outcomes for all the children who can benefit from the program. Now, we then also do some specific interventions on girls, uh, for instance, on, on education or uh, adolescent uh, reproductive health or on uh, changing laws to uh, prevent girls from being married off before the age of 18, uh, which of course is a, is a much sort of more of an, an advocacy and policy um, uh, play with, with various governments to encourage them to have the laws to begin with, and then also help them figure out how you implement 
these kinds of policies, because of course that is then where the, the rubber meets the road. Um, and uh, another example is that in, in Jordan, you know, when you, when you look at refugee girls in particular, uh, who, who are most vulnerable, uh, we work with, you know, fantastic corporate partners like, like P&G to really provide education and life skills workshops to girls and young women uh, to make sure that they understand their rights and that they become actually their own advocates and campaigners to, to help their families see that it doesn't make sense to not finish their education, that they don't want to get married uh, before they're ready and, and when they choose, um, and, and that they really want to uh, continue to, to learn. Yeah, and child marriage really does snuff out the uh, future of a girl. That's right. And, and it's, it's wonderful that both SAVE and, and your private sector partners like P&G are engaged in this work because it, it really matters so much. So you've been talking about some of these very severe troubling Im impacts on um, kids around the world and in the United States. And I wonder, what is your sense? Is, is this a tougher time than ever to be a child? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I wouldn't, so pre-COVID, I, I would have said this is probably the, the best time to be a child, looking at all the indicators that we talked about earlier, that, that where we have made so much progress, more girls in school than ever, fewer children dying than ever, et cetera. Now, of course, we see some of that progress under, under threat or, or being rolled back. So that's a concern. And of course, we're continuously, we, we talk often about the trifecta of, of a, a COVID pandemic, the continued and increased conflict, um, and of course, climate change. And these three things really come together in certain areas where we'll see more displacement, a weaker infrastructure, healthcare systems, social protection systems, and then children are always going to be bearing the brunt of that impact. And they are at least um, uh, empowered to, to do something about it. They don't have, a, they can't vote mostly. Um, so it's, 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 it's and, and often they're overlooked, of course, in, in these crises. So that is a concern. So we're, we're probably more concerned, we're definitely more concerned now than we were a year ago about, about these things that Con, you know, conspire to come together, um, both in the immediate term, uh, but also in the long run. I, I read something about the great, great progress we collectively have made in cutting uh, poverty rates, just dramatic progress in many ways over the last uh, decade plus. And then the punchline to the study was, but all of that or much of that can be erased because of what's happened over the last several months with the pandemic. So there are a lot of worries out there. And in the midst of doing the hard work uh, that you and Save the Children does, what makes you optimistic, Yanti? What keeps you going? Well, I think if you, if you work in, in this line of business, as, as you know, Milan, you have to be an optimist, right? Because otherwise, um, <laughs> you're not going to last very long. <laughs> um, so what does make me really optimistic is actually the resilience of, of young people and young leaders. We've and I still, even though we're not clearly not traveling, um, I, I still have the privilege and luxury of speaking to to children in in our you know across the world uh, and and young people who have really stepped up. They, they step up and speak out on climate change. They step up and 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 be and are empowered to talk about early child marriage. They want to have access. They they want to be digital uh, natives, um, and feel that access to technology is essentially a basic human right for them. Um, so, so that gives me hope because I do think there's a huge energy there 
um, and, a, and an awakening. Um, um, and I do think people are listening now more than ever. That's the, the flip side, of course, of, of the pandemic. Also people in very advantaged situations um, all of a sudden, I think, got an empathy bump to say, oh, this is what it means if you lose choices, if you lose a certain amount of freedom, however small compared to what other people are going through, if you lose um, your income or if you lose, um, you know, uh, the ability to, to, to do as you please and to go, as you, go where you please. So I do think that, that visibility of the inequities that were built that were built in before COVID, um, the fact that children are hungry, even in a country like the United States, the fact that girls are more at risk, it is coming out more and it's harder for people to ignore it. And there's definitely when I speak to our supporters, they feel that they have to um, you know, step up and, and take action and, and, and you know, be loyal to, to the cause and the mission. So that gives me hope, but but young people in particular give me hope. There's a huge amount of energy and entrepreneurialism there that we should listen to and and actually uh, support more than anything. Um, in, in, instead of trying to um, think that we can come up with a solution for them. Well, speaking of the word support, I'm sure that our listeners want to engage, would like to engage in some way. Uh, how can they learn more about uh, Save the Children or help with the future of children everywhere? What's the best that they can do? Uh, that's a, a great question because we, we, we definitely need support. Children need uh, supporters now more than ever. So I would say three easy things. Uh, learn and savethechildren.org. Uh, there you can learn a lot about our work, the issues for kids in the United States as well as around the world. So I would really encourage people to go there. Um, share if you're so inclined, if you're if you're compelled uh, with our work, uh, share it on, on your social media, with your networks, talk to your family and, and friends about it, advocate on our behalf, write to your congressmen and women, um, ask them about their policies in your state, if that is what uh, is concerning or interesting you. How, how do, what do they say about early child education or the childcare industry? What do they say about supporting kids um, in, in Yemen or on the southern border? Uh, and then lastly, if you're in a position to financially support us, please consider also donating at that same uh, website, savethechildren.org. Well, and it's so important because the state of children needs to be improved, especially in these very difficult times. And children are all about our future. You know, I once heard, I think it was that the Maasai's in Africa, the tribe, hmm. doesn't ask when they meet someone, uh, how are you? Their question always is, and how are the children? That's exactly right. And I think that's so profound in many ways, because the state of children should be important to each and every one of us. So thank you so much, uh, Yanti Saripto, for what you do every day, and most especially for the hard work that the Save the Children staff and volunteers do all over the world. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your experiences. Thank you very much, Milan. It was a real pleasure. It's good to know the world's children have such a powerful advocate in Yanti Sarepto and Save the Children. Here are three things that stuck with me from today's conversation. First, is the crucial need to focus on children who are the most vulnerable, wherever they are on the planet. As Yanti says, if we get it right for them, we can make things better for all children. 
Second, we need to recognize and deal with the setbacks brought on by the pandemic. The children who are going hungry because their schools have closed, the girls at risk of child marriage, the youngsters subjected to violence or being sent off to work. We can make a difference for them through Save the Children. Finally, let's borrow Yanti's attitude of optimism. The energy and hope she gets from children can be the fuel we all need as we build a better tomorrow for all young people. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.